The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, where we fight and struggle and face up against the rhinovirus to make sure that you get the information. It's just a cold mic. The information and inspiration you need. I know it sounds really like horrible, like rhino, you know, rhino virus, uh, to start or grow your own real estate investing business. And uh, despite the fact that I woke up this morning with a fairly awful cold, that uh, Mike has got his finger on the cough button for that exact purpose, um, I really, really, really didn't want to miss today's uh, interview because it's with somebody that I have wanted to talk to for a really long time about a niche strategy that he has developed in land, in flipping land. But uh, before we get to Jack Bosch, need to let the folks here in the listening area know that uh, tomorrow night is the Real Estate Investors Association of Greater Cincinnati's uh, meeting for the second meeting of October. And uh, it's a really interesting one to go and observe. It is Real Estate Shark Tank. And we've got a panel of three experienced lenders, buyers, creative finance people who are going to talk uh to folks who have deals that they would like to get funded uh, in front of the whole room. So these conversations go on at RIA groups kind of in the background all the time. Like, you know, people are always approaching people and saying, I got deals or I got money for deals. But you actually get to see how the the sharks evaluate the deals, what makes them say yes or no, or go back and do it this way and then I'll do it uh, sorts of things. Also at the early workshop for new investors, my partner, Mr. Drew, is going to talk about intro to quick cash strategies. And for you active investors who have been struggling to try and make QuickBooks actually work for your real estate business, we've got uh, retired CPA Jerry Fink talking about the things that it can do that you probably don't know about and how you can operate it in a way that actually you know works for what is often a business with many moving parts like, you know, a landlording business, retailing business, that sort of thing. You can get more information about that meeting and download a free guest pass if you're a first-time guest at CincinnatiRIA.com. That's Cincinnati, R-E-I-A dot com. My guest today here on Real Life Real Estate Investing is Jack Bosch. And Jack uh, started out in the real estate business in 1999 and pretty quickly developed a couple of little niches that he did. Um, the most, the most uh, unusual one and interesting one uh, to me is is he does stuff with land. And 
land is something that most of us don't even really think about when we think about real estate investing. Um, he's joining us today by phone. Welcome, Jack. Hello. Thank you very much for having me, Vina. And and thank you for coming on today. I have so many questions of my own that I sort of hesitate to let listeners know how they can ask questions, but I'm going to go ahead and do that because it's not fair for me to hog your attention here. Uh, you can call in with questions at 877-772-9658. That's 877-772-9658. Or you can simply send them via email to askvina at gmail.com. Um, Jack, can you can you start out by just telling us a little bit about your background, like what got you interested in real estate, how that progressed, and w- how you landed on land? Absolutely. I'd be more than happy to. Uh, first of all, I'm again, I'm excited to be here. It's not like every day that I get interviewed on a radio show. Uh, I actually rarely, rarely have ever done, have done that. Mm. Uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm originally, as you can tell from my accent, and as you know, uh, from Germany. I came over to the United States in 1997, uh, really just to finish my college degree. And then I worked in corporate America. And, and basically, I got interested in real estate out of sheer frustration of having to work in corporate America. So there's nothing, to, nothing wrong with corporate America worse than there's something wrong with corporate Germany. You know what I mean? It's not about America. It's about the corporate world in it, right? I love America. I'm an American citizen now. Um, I have been for many years. My wife is. Uh, we're both immigrants from other countries. And uh, but but kind of like after going to college and working in a job, uh, I ended up getting a job that that required me to travel 100 percent, required me to work like literally until midnight. And I, I couldn't leave because I was in this visa process. I was legal in the country, obviously, always. Uh, and I was, uh, worked through a, this work visa, this H-1B visa, and through that process was working towards getting that green card. And I couldn't really leave that job, even though very quickly I realized that that just working for, well, yeah, working for an employer, having to travel, having to do what they asked me to do all the time, wasn't really how I wanted to live my life. And uh, I was separate from my wife. I was separated, not, not separating, but uh, we were all week long. We were separated from each other. And had very little time together, and um, and I just I just didn't like it. So um, we started out of sure frustration, and we started looking around for any for other kind of business things. And have no real had no real estate background, nothing to do real estate ever in my life before that. But one day, literally watching some kind of infomercial, I don't even know who it was, but they start talking about you can make checks, you can make income, you can make real estate, and it's like real estate and. And I just started studying about it and started learning about it, and and soon enough fell in love with uh, with it, and uh, over time figured out our land flipping system, which basically is just like house flipping. You do you can do land flipping, just it's without the houses, so therefore it's no complexities involved really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, gosh, I have so, I have so many questions, but let let me start by saying that one of the reasons that I was really looking forward to this interview is to be completely honest with you. My personal experience with land has not been something that has led me to think, oh, well, there's something I could go and flip because, you know, I market, I market to, I market to lots of different people and ask them if they want to sell their house. And sometimes they call me and they say, well, the house isn't actually there anymore. Uh, What I have now is a piece of vacant land. And it's always like 100% of the time, it's a 25 foot wide weedy scrubby lot in an area where nobody is building 
and where you couldn't build if you wanted to because the lot's only 25 feet wide. And it has $12,000 worth of back taxes and also $5,000 worth of city liens because they haven't mowed it in nine years. And I just, I look at that kind of thing and I'm like, nobody, there's no customer for this. Nobody wants this. I gather, I gather that my big problem is I just haven't been looking for the right kind of land. That is correct. So that, that specific example of yours is actually something I just came across literally this morning. And the immediate reaction of that is I'm not interested in it. Because uh, the key is you want to focus on the right kind of land. And the kind of land that we focus on is actually not the opposite either. So it's not that and it's not the opposite. So what, what most people think when they hear about land, they either hear about what, think about what you just mentioned, or they hear about, they think about the opposite, which is like the multi-million dollar downtown lot that the high rise needs to be developed on, or these, this uh, 20 acres that the city wants a new mall to be built on or things, something like that, multi-million dollar properties. And with that, people associate uh, either land as being kind of like garbage or they associate land as being a super complex, super expensive uh, kind of uh, asset class that is really hard to get into, that it takes a long time to develop, therefore it's risky and so on and so forth. But there's some space in between. And there's actually a lot of space. There's literally millions of parcels in three kind of categories that we focus on. We focus on, number one, infill lots. But true interlots, not interlots in the scrubby rural kind of areas where they're 25 feet long, but like interlots, street, $300,000 homes, and there's a few extra lots left. A street, $500,000 homes. Whoa, I think we just lost. Maybe dollars $150,000. A good lot in a building area worth anywhere between fifty dollars and $100,000. Well, lots can be bought from the long term in many cases at a substantial amount, and they can builder in literally a day because the, the market is hot builders are building and there's a lot of people uh looking to uh to build, buy, buy and build those kind of lots the second kind of properties that we're looking at is actually is right in the path of growth and the outskirts of bigger cities so you take uh you take any city in the united states and that is growing and you go outside where the city, just where the city ends, you go another couple, three miles out or five miles or 10 miles out, you're in the path of growth. There's a lot of demand for properties there from either financial investors who want to buy these properties and just hold on to them until the city approaches and the valley skyrockets. Or there's people in there that want to, that for, for, for many reasons can't really afford to retire in the city because cost of living is too expensive, the, the houses are expensive, Property is too expensive. So they're moving outside of that, a few miles outside. They put a septic system or ground. They put the electric line on there. They put a mobile home on such a lot. And now they live within the vicinity of the city. In 10, 15 minutes, they're at the doctor. They're at the movie theaters. They're at the restaurants. And they're at the grocery store. But they're living a low-cost life. There's a lot of a lot of, uh, of interest on these kind of properties, particularly from, from these kind of uh, buyers. One is the investor. The other one is what I call the future retiree. That unfortunately in the American, uh, the way it is, um, most most people don't have a lot of savings built up, so they have enough to buy a lot like that. And, the, and these lots are like the twenty to fifty thousand dollar lots, or say fifteen thousand to forty thousand dollar lots. That's kind of like a sweet spot. Now, when the city approaches, these lots are worth hundreds of thousands. But in the meantime, these are properties worth, let's say, thirty thousand dollars. But we figured out a way that we can buy these properties for three to five thousand dollars. So if we buy them literally at a 90% discount, we turn around, we sell it to somebody where the 
and for let's say 25 grand, we can even offer them a, a deal like Stella financing. We can do such, hey, go pay us $5,000 down and then make monthly payments uh, for the next 10 years, which again is affordable to a lot of people and allows us to sell these properties quickly. The last, the last kind of property that we sell is that we focus on is like large acreage, almost like mini ranches in the rural areas. Because a lot of people in the city, they want to go on the weekend, they want to go outside, take their RV, take their ATVs, uh, put the bonfire, uh, and, and basically build a cabin or something. They want to have 40 acres somewhere out in the rural areas that they can call their own. So these are the three kind of properties, and these kind of three properties all have a multi, uh, well, have, have a millions of people are the market to uh, are interested in these kind of properties. So they have properties. So they have a market of millions of people uh, that are looking for these properties uh, to buy, and 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 we don't stray from those three kinds of properties. So we don't go after the burnt down house on a 25 uh, foot lot, and we don't go after the multi million dollar uh, lots where the next football team wants to build their next stadium. Very good. We need to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to discuss uh, some more more detail about how flipping land is maybe different than the sort of things that people are super familiar with. We're going to discuss uh, an interesting idea about making land cash flow, which is something that most people uh, cannot figure out how to do. And uh, we're also going to take your questions at 877-772-9658 or at askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I am talking today to Jack Bosch, who is probably the foremost expert in the, in the country on land investments that don't involve you having so much money that you can park a million bucks in a property and then cross your fingers for for, for you know appreciation that in some of these cases, when you see these like really rich people doing it, it takes generations for the land to become significantly more valuable than it is right now. And Jack, just to be super clear, you've done like literally thousands of these deals. And I gather, right. I gather that none of them have actually involved you putting a million bucks into a piece of property and then hoping your grandkids can make a profit off of it. Uh, correct. Yes, we have done over 4,000 deals since we figured this out in 2000, the end of 2002. So, um, and we have literally, in there's not a single case where we put in more than probably $10,000 into a deal. But as a matter of fact, uh, right now, most of us and most of our students actually that, uh, that do this actually don't even put any money into a deal because we are actually focusing on flipping. So... Like, you know, house wholesaling, people wholesale a deal without ever taking ownership of it. Well, that's what most most of our house, most of the land flippers that we taught this to are doing this right now. So they're taking a $50,000 lot, putting on a contract for ten, and go flipping it for thirty-five dollars or $40,000 uh, to somebody else and um, and making fifteen dollars to $20,000 in the process without using any of their own money. So, so, yes, it's not necessarily land banking and land holding. And waiting for generations although you can do that too mm-hmm. right so so yeah you can do that too i mean if you can put some if you find some spots that you know the city's going to grow to it's going to advance towards it there's nothing wrong with flipping some properties in there making some money and then using some of that money to buy some extra ones and holding on to them i personally I, I do that in several areas and own uh several dozen properties that uh that i expect 
that I bought for $3,500 a piece, but I expect them to be worth several hundred thousand dollars in just five to 10 years from now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's easy to it's easy to play with money like that when you've got money. <laughs> first, first we have to, you know, the 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 challenge with real estate education is often people come to us without a lot of assets, and we've got to get them to the point where they can create assets by buying and selling, so that they then can do things like you have done. And of course, after you flipped four thousand pieces of land, I'm guessing you can kind of tell which ones are going to have good long term appreciation. Yes, yes, yes. Which is something exactly. I couldn't do, you know. Like right now, yeah, you know, after after the after the National Real Estate Summit, I am definitely going full on into flipping land. Like I've already I've already read your course. I I know what to do, all that stuff. But at the moment, I would feel like you know I don't know if this piece of land is going to be valuable later. But I'm guessing after four thousand deals, I'll figure it out. That's right. You'll figure it out much much faster than that. And, and yes, absolutely. The land banking thing is not something you want to do from day one on. Uh, you just go flip land. And, and, and this is exactly the people that come to us. They, they, they usually come with, uh, I mean, all kinds of people come to us from, uh, from having no money to having a lot of money. But the, the key is you can totally do this without, uh, without any money uh, of your own because all you need to do is like get do the steps, contact the owner, get some deals on a contract, flip them to somebody else. And even the, the selling part happens all online. So for that matter, we have actually German students right now that are in Germany heard, have heard about me and uh, and know several of them doing this in the United States very successfully and have never even set foot into the United States. So not only do you need no money, you actually can be anywhere in the world. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I want to, I wanna, because the, the part of this that I initially had trouble getting my head around was I'm used to flipping ugly houses. And those are... They're just different. It's like a completely different business in a lot of in a lot of different ways. I mean, the basics of put the property under contract and then sell the contract are sort of the same. But I'd kind of like to go through some of those basics with you, and you tell me how flipping a piece of land is different than flipping an ugly house. So let let's start with evaluation. Every time I want to flip an ugly house, I have to look up comps, I have to go to the property, I have to inspect it, I have to estimate repair costs, uh, I have to, you know, do my math and come up with an offer. How is that different when it's just a piece of land? All right, so it's quite different. So first, to start out with, uh, you still have to, the one thing that is the same is you have to run comps. But comps, always people come to me like, Jack, how do you run comps on land? And it's like, well, how do you run comps on houses? (laughs) You look for similar houses, that have similar square footage and that have been sold in the last, I don't know, well, few months or so, right? Well, we do the exact same thing here. Uh, we uh, we are going, we, we look at similar land of similar size in a similar location that have sold for in the last few months. And we do that just by going, instead of going to the MLS, which most people don't have access to anyway, we go like on websites like Zillow, Trulia, Redfin, uh, et cetera, et cetera, and we find similar compare find comparables right there just this morning i prepared a few offers and uh i did that exact process the difference comes in now so it's very simple can be done from anywhere uh the 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 difference comes in now that we don't have to go look at the property right we don't have to estimate repairs because there's nothing to repair (laughs) so the beauty of it is google maps google earth google uh, street view allows us to virtually visit the property and go look at it. If we're concerned about topographical thing, we might have to invest in a $50 software called uh, Topo USA, 
that allows us to see the exact, like if it's on a steep hill or if it's flat or so on. So for basically, uh, for free, and there's actually free topographical uh, maps online too, if you just Google them, um, that can be completely for free from the comfort of your home. You can just uh, find out everything you want to find out about that property, including pictures, including street view, including aerial pictures, satellite pictures, etc., etc. So since for, for the last 11 years, I have not gone out and looked at the single property before we bought them or single property when selling them. And, and any of our buyers is now, nowadays, a lot of them buy the property side unseen because they can use the same technology, simple technology that everyone knows how to use uh, to look up the, the details about the property. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So if it's if I look at because uh, some of the, the part of this that really fascinates me is the recreational land. Um, I don't know how well you know Ohio. But if you draw a line from Cincinnati to Cleveland up to the up toward the northeast and then you draw a line across the center of the state in Columbus, pretty much everything on the right hand corner of that is wooded hunting. You know, people go out there and they'll build a little like a a small cabin just to go to on the weekends, that sort of thing. We have like so much of that kind of land. And. I assume that you know if if it's not on if it's not on like uh, the street view on Google Earth because some of this stuff's pretty remote that I can still look down on it from the satellite and see yes it's there and there are trees and it's what I think it is right I mean why would I go walk it exactly right now in some areas Google Street View will not be available if the property is on a dirt road typically the Google vehicle did not drive by there. But there's still, we still get to see it from a satellite picture. And nowadays, actually, the counties, a lot of the counties have additional websites called uh, Geographical Information System uh, websites uh, that you can go and GIS websites that you can go in and, and find out the same information. And on top of that, have an overlay by the county with the exact outlines of the property. Mm-hmm. So I really don't need to go out there anymore because I can see everything from there. I can't see it from the street level, but I can see it from top. And, uh, and, and, and that gives me all the information that I, that I usually need to do. Now, if I another couple of phone calls might give me information on, on utility access and those kind of things. So I truly don't ever have to go anywhere other than uh, away from my, from my laptop. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So let's, let's talk about the, the next thing about flipping land versus flipping ugly properties. 100% of the time... When I flip an ugly property, my buyer is basically the same person. He's an investor. Uh, he's looking to improve the property and get some kind of financial benefit out of it. He's, you know, he's going to rent it. He's going to sell it. Whatever he's going to do. I don't think that's the profile of your typical buyer. I think they're probably pretty much all end users, aren't they? Uh, yes, that is that is probably the biggest difference between the the land flipping and the uh, and the house flipping. Um, but the benefit of that is also that there is millions of lots out there. So on the house flipping side, uh, always so, so basically our, the way we operate is almost like it, the opposite of the way the house flippers operate. So in essence, we don't ever talk to a seller because there's no reason to talk to them. There's a dime a dozen, right? We get to cherry pick. When we send out, let's say we do a direct mail, uh, when we send out, let's say 500 letters, we get response rates of close to 10% on average. Mm. So uh, not like, if that's another difference, most house flippers, if they do direct mail, they get like 1%, half percent something like that. Well, we got, we got a 10% response rate. We have five of the 500 letters. We have 50 properties to cherry pick from. 
So out of these 50 properties that we make offers, not everyone gets accepted, but we can go and look after the best ones and, and focus on the best ones and so on, and then uh, make our offers on those. And there's no reason to ever talk to a seller. On the contrary, though, on the other side, though, when we market, our buyers are the end buyers, usually. Uh, depending on, on the location of the property, there are also some repeat buyers out there. Like if you're directly, particularly in the, in the, in the first two of the three areas I mentioned, basically the infill lot, our buyer is usually a, usually a builder. And the more properties you can get as infill lots, the more you can flip out, off, flip off into the same builder. Or you build up, you, you build a group of uh, three, four builders that are looking to buy in a certain area, and you just feed them all the properties you can get into that in that area. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's kind of similar. But uh, on the outskirts of town, it is usually uh, you can also find repeat buyers, as we call them, which is often those financial investors. So we have guys that are doctors, are guys that have uh, actually one of our repeat buyers runs a radio show in New York City, uh, and another. Of our repeat buyers has a jewelry store that apparently is very cash flow positive. So he buys anything we can give to him in a certain area. He just loves that area. He buys them and his, his, he holds them for future appreciation, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? which will eventually happen. But it's, nobody can say if it's next year or five years from now, but he buys them. So we have these repeat buyers. But other than that, especially in the rural areas, the larger acres, it's, it's the end buyer. So your marketing is a little different. We market on... Places like Zillow, like places like Craigslist, places like Facebook Marketplace, in a little bit different way. Uh, but it's again, it's very, it's a very simple marketing step, and you just talk to buyers, and you and and they will take your properties, and uh, and 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 that's simple as it is. We have students right now that do 170 deals a year as really just husband and wife team with no additional help, right? So uh, that's kind of because there's less complexities, it's easier to do a ton of deals without having to have a big team. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so the next thing that I think of when I think of flipping ugly houses is we've got some kind of standard contract terms. We're, we're always offering cash. We typically have like a 30-day period to close. And we have contingencies that are things like, well, you know, if it fails inspection, I don't have to buy it. If it, my partner doesn't approve it, you know, things like that. Are you using, are you even using the same contract? Are you using a purchase agreement or are you using an option agreement? And in what ways would it look different if I looked at it? Uh, yes, we are, we're definitely using a different contract. We're using an extremely simple purchase contract, uh, which is actually uh, not, uh, which is handcrafted and it's uh, rebuilt by our attorneys and so on, but it's, it's literally a one-page sale agreement because the, the, let's look at that. We're looking at why do these people sell the properties to us? Uh, they're selling the properties to us for multiple reasons. Number one is because they have bought it 30 years ago expecting something to happen that didn't happen or so. They bought it because they got it in a divorce. They got it, a lot of them got it inherited from their parents. And now they don't want it. They don't want to pay any more property taxes on them because you're right, holding on to land is not a cash flowing proposition. When you just own the land for like five, 10 years, it just sucks money out of your pocket by owning it and by paying property taxes. So a lot of people don't want to own these properties anymore. Uh, it's not bringing them cash flow. It's just costing them money. So they want to get rid of these properties, which is by the way the reason why we get them so cheap, right? They're sick and tired of them, owning them. Uh, and it doesn't matter if these properties are great. A lot of people uh, bought them as a place to build a home where they would retire 
but either for whatever reason they decided to stay where they live right now. Now they have a lot on the other side of the country that they don't want anymore. Now this is a beautiful twenty, thirty, fifty, a hundred thousand dollar lot that they no longer want. Mm-hmm. So having said that, when people uh, don't want these lots anymore, uh, there, there, there's more of them that wanting to give give up the property. Uh, now the other part of that is. Um, I actually have to admit, I forgot your question right now. What uh, was the question? We were talking <laughs> about, so you said your contract is just super simple. Oh, the contract, yes. yes. Uh, the reason why we, so the reason why I explained all of that is we're dealing with people that are truly don't want these properties anymore. There's no competition in this market. There's no, there's very few people do what we do. Uh, there's millions of properties to cherry pick. And, and, but we're dealing with the seller who just can't even be bothered to put this property up with a realtor for sale, because the question we always get was like, Jack, why don't these people sell their property themselves? It's like, because they just have, you know, the garage sale mentality, where you sell a $100 bike for 10 bucks because you just wanted to have it out of the garage. That's their mentality. And the properties are on frame clear. They don't want to deal with it. And because we're not sitting down on the kitchen table with them, and because we can't walk them to the sale agreement, these sellers might be sitting in Rhode Island and the property is in Texas and, and, and I'm in Arizona, right? And, and, uh, and so, so we have to send it to them by, mail, by letter or by mail or by email. And this, the, the sale agreement needs to be so simple that they can, they can very simply understand it, agree with it, and sign it. So as a result, we have a very simple one-page sale agreement that basically spells out who buys from whom, who pays for the closing costs, and uh, and and a couple of other items. It has all the items of the six or seven pieces that a legal contract needs to have. And it also has one provision in there that is very important that says that the buyer, meaning us, right, when we buy, that we can back out of the contract anytime for any reason. Mm-hmm. Now, it sounds incredible that people would sign a contract like that, but they do because, again, they have this garage sale mentality just like, yeah, I want to get rid of that thing. I've owned it for 40 years. Nobody ever sent me a letter about it, and uh, I just don't want it. Now, it's not garbage. It's beautiful property. It falls into the three categories that I talked about, but that's why we keep it very, very simple. Mm-hmm. The other provision that we also have actually eliminated from our contract is there's not even a provision for an escrow deposit. So we have a contract that you don't put any money down and you can back out any time for any, con- uh, any reason. And on top of that, we can actually literally make these contracts out for three to six months and nobody even blinks an eye because again, people just there's no competition. There's it's not like it's not like there's twenty thousand people fighting over these properties, right? Like it's happened in the housing world where there's a lot of competition. We are the we are the ones that have figured this out. We have figured out how to get our hands on these really good, valuable ten to hundred thousand dollar properties, and the sellers don't want them anymore. They're not on the market. They're not on the MLS. They're not behind on, on mortgages because they own these properties free and clear. They just don't want them anymore. So they're literally willing to sign whatever you put in front of them. So we have a very simple agreement that is extremely helpful to us, and it's also easy for them to understand and sign. Very good. We need to take a quick break. And I know I'm already getting emails from listeners wanting to know different things about this strategy. And if you'd like to get your question in there, the almost sure way to do it is give us a call 877-772-9658. You can also send us an email at askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. Talking today to Jack Bosch, who is 
one of the 23 experts who will be presenting on their particular topics of expertise uh, at the 2018 National Real Estate Strategy Summit coming up in just two weeks here in Cincinnati. If you haven't gotten your ticket yet, you need to do it. I did some research uh, during the break, and I discovered that the uh, the deal for Real Life Real Estate listeners to get that package at a $70 discount and including VIP status is still up on the website. I think those packages are all gone, but it is still up on the website at wmkvfm.org. It will not be on the website tomorrow. So if you want to grab that deal and find out more about the event, go to wmkvfm.org. Uh, but this is your very last chance because I actually think I actually think that was a mistake. We'll honor any uh, buddy who wants to pledge $127 for one person to attend or $197 for two people to attend, uh, but only until the site goes down tomorrow, wmkvfm.org. Uh, okay, so Jack, um, I got a couple of questions from listeners that I'd like to go ahead and get in here before uh, I go on with my many questions. Sure. Um, this one is from JC in Las Vegas. He says, please ask Jack, if I were to make a private loan to an investor to buy land, what essential due diligence should I do on the land? Do I need an appraisal, title search, survey, phase one environmental study, anything like that? Uh, well, that's a great question. So depending on where the property is and what the goal is and so on, uh, you definitely want to do a few of these things. Um, so private loans, uh, uh, our typical students don't don't need really need private loans because most of the deals are, as I said, between a hundred, a ten, and a hundred thousand dollars in value. And what they do is they put them on a contract and they do a double uh, con- con- concurrent closing, double closing, uh, double escrow, and then clo- and, and basically sell it to somebody else in the same transaction without needing any money. But if you, but in occasion it does happen. Just one of our students right now did a deal where he bought something for a hundred and I think for two hundred four thousand dollars, and he ended up and he sold it for two hundred fifty thousand dollars. And he he needed the private lender for that to help him uh, buy this property because the seller was more sophisticated and and he wanted this this deal to close in like thirty days. And he had the buyer lined up, but the buyer needed an extra like couple of weeks, so he only needed the money for a couple of weeks. But still, in that scenario, um, you wanna depending on the property where it's located. You might need to do a phase one environmental test, even though that costs uh, quite a bit of extra money. So if you do that, it's definitely only worth on the higher end properties to give a loan in that in that end. And that's why I added to the beginning that that most students don't, most most people don't need any private money because you can just do the deal without actually ever uh, ever using any money. But um, but. A phase one environmental test is something that I personally use, uh, though, only in a certain scenario. Now, you do that up to your own comfort level. Uh, I only do that if I'm buying a commercial property in a commercial area, a commercial piece of land in a commercial area. Because commercial areas, I mean, they're commercial because there's stuff that's being produced, stuff that's being exhausted, stuff that, that happens. So there's a potential for spills and for, for, for 
environmental issues to happen. My experience is on these, uh, if, you, if, you, if you're putting a loan on a residential property, let on top of it perhaps in a subdivision, typically the person that bought those, this land and subdivided it already did a phase one environmental test. So I'm personally comfortable not doing one there because it's already one that's been already done probably five or 10 years ago. And there's no reason to, to think that anything has changed on that property. Uh, the third kind of properties, if that's like on the insulats, on the blots in the outskirts of town, usually I'm not concerned because if never anything has been built on it or within like a few blocks from it, then chances are there's no environmental issues on there either. And uh, and then the rural properties, the rural 40 acres, there's no reason to do a phase one there either because, I mean, again, the same reason as in the outskirts of town, nothing was built on it, nothing has been done there. So chances are there's nothing environmental that goes wrong. Environmental issues are really, really usually only an issue uh, in areas where it's like there's a gas station close by that might have had a big spill and things like that. And mm -hmm. uh, in those scenarios, in those neighborhoods, I do do a phase one environmental test before I buy them or before I lend money to anyone to do it. And I might have to have the buyer, uh, the, the borrower actually pay for that. Mm -hmm. Now, but, but uh, the easy way would be just go on the environmental protection website agency website and search for the property location. And if nothing comes up, then, and if it's in the outskirts of town, then I personally don't worry about it. And out of 4,000 deals, I have had zero issues with, uh, environmental, uh, with environmental land. Surveys, um, I mean, if the property looks very, very clearly defined, I don't necessarily think you need a survey just to get a loan on it. Um, depending on which state it is, the title company might require a survey anyway. In Texas, for example, there's usually a survey involved in a property transfer from one person to another uh, in other states, too. So uh, surveys are not necessarily needed. I don't think I need them. Uh, but if you have any doubts about any of that, then, yeah, absolutely. It, it doesn't hurt to do that. And um, and then um, that's really that's really the, the main thing that would think of. Other than that, of course, have a title search done. Make sure that the title is clean that, uh, and make sure that you have a personal guarantee from the seller. I would even do a background uh, on, of the borrower. I would, I would do a background search on the borrower forever. I'm much more worried that the borrower that I'm lending money to uh, is not paying me back then I'm actually worried about the quality of the property. Mm -hmm. If I just, uh, I, and if you live close by, go drive by, right? Or if it's not, go get some of these aerial pictures. Go take a look, a virtual look at the property to make sure that it's, that, that you don't see anything you don't like. Mm -hmm. But, uh, but again, uh, virtual loans is something that is not really what we, what we talk about a lot because most of our students, uh, like I would say 99% of our students do deals without ever needing a loan. Literally, I started with $3,500 to my name. I got the first property for $400 and sold it for $4,000. I literally, the next day to the neighbor across the street, he bought it for four grand. I bought the next property for $500, sold it for $9,500. And uh, soon enough, after doing that, you're sitting on $15,000, $20,000 and more after a few more deals. And very quickly, you can be out of debt. And very quickly, you can be uh, in a situation that you also have cash flow coming in. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, sort of semi-related question in that it's about due diligence on land. And this one is from Chris in Boulder, Colorado. He says, would you please ask Jack if he ever deals with properties where the mineral rights, timber rights, or oil rights have been separated from the land itself? And if so, what does he do with those? <coughs> and Sorry, I, I, I'm actually, I actually got up with a cough myself today. Um, 
so yes, as a matter of fact, the majority of the land that I have that we have flipped came without any timber on it and without any uh, mineral rights with it. It's actually by by nowadays in most of the United States you don't get the uh, mineral rights with it. And and in Arizona where I live, and California where I do deals, and Colorado where I do deals, and Florida where I do deals, and Texas where I do it, in most cases. Uh, some large company has stripped off the mineral rights many, many decades ago. Uh, so therefore, it, it's okay because most people don't buy these properties for the mineral rights. They buy them for what they can do on the property, not underneath the property. Right? So they buy them for, uh, for to be able to put a cabin up there. They buy them to build their retirement home. They buy them to hold up for appreciation and so on. And a builder that's 10 years into the uh, five years from now are going to buy this property from from, from somebody bought it from us and put the 100 houses on there, they don't care about mineral uh, mineral rights. So really, I've come to learn that mineral rights can make your life money if you happen to actually get a property with mineral rights. So it's actually perhaps the better question to ask is, what do you do when you get a property with mineral rights? Well, what you do is you, you flip it, and if you want, you can keep the mineral rights. So you need to work with your title company on that. They can help you split it off. You might need to separate out a new deed with just the legal description being the mineral rights, but you can definitely do that. So you can use this method to actually find property with mineral rights and then keep the mineral rights. And then uh, I know of one of our students who actually specializes on properties with timber, and uh, but he's a timber expert. So he goes out there and he pays market value even for properties with timber. Then he takes down the timber and then he goes out to the property without the timber for half of what he bought it for, but overall he made like two or three times his money. Mm -hmm. So you can definitely play this game, but it's a little variation of what we do. We really like to stick to the basics, which is put it on a contract for 10 to 25 cents on a dollar, flip it for 50 to 80 cents on a dollar, make a bunch of money, move on to the next deal, and do that as fast and as often as you can so that you make a ton of money and use that money then to do whatever you want to do in life. Okay, question from Robert in Hudson, Ohio. He says, how does Jack find buyers for these vacant land properties? All right. Uh, I kind of alluded it a little bit already. Uh, basically, it's through uh, online marketing. So, but very simple online marketing. The biggest rule I have is that you don't even need your own website to sell these properties. So, the biggest rule I have is that you want to piggyback on already existing websites where people hang out who are interested in that kind of stuff. Now, where do people hang out? There's websites like Landwatch. There's websites like uh, Facebook Marketplace. There's websites like uh, Craigslist. There's websites like uh, uh, like uh, Facebook groups, right? There's websites like, like Zillow that you can post properties. And if somebody's interested in buying a piece of land, they're going there and looking at that. What makes the difference now, though, is how we, how we list the properties. Uh, most people, uh, even re- including realtors, I'm going to, uh, I thought like there's a lot of realtors who are very good house realtors and very, very crappy land realtors because they don't understand how to sell land and selling land is slightly different. Not more, not harder. It's actually simpler. But uh, it's it, you sell land by telling a story. So what they do is they just put a couple of bad pictures up there and then a two liner and nobody's going to buy a piece of land with that. What you want to do is you want to put a story up on the website. You will put a story about uh, Auxilio, right? That tells the story of what you can do with the property, what's close by, right? You follow. We have in we have in our course. We have a very simple uh, methodology that you follow, and you just check these things off. And 
Soon enough, you have an amazing listing written. In like five to ten minutes, you have an amazing listing written that outsells any realtor out there in a heartbeat. Uh, in a heartbeat, because the realtors out there, they know how to put the houses for sale, but they don't know how to put land for sale. Mm-hmm. Okay, we have one more question here from listeners. This one is from Mary Kay in Columbus. She says, given that land prices are much, much higher in other parts of the country other than Ohio, why would I not be flipping land in places like California, even though I live in Ohio, if I don't have to inspect it? I, I don't really have an answer for that. Of course, you, that's exactly what our students are doing. They live in New York City, for that matter, or in the San Francisco Bay Area, where prices are extremely high, and they're doing deals in Northern California, Southern California. They're doing deals in, in Arizona, in Florida, in Hawaii, for that matter. And uh, they're doing deals in, the, in whichever markets they really want to do deals in. There's no limits of where you can do that. Thanks to the American, um, like the fact that in the United States, there's really no privacy rules. And all the data about all the owners and their main ownership information and what they paid for the properties in most cases and what they uh, and where they live. And so it's all public records. Uh, you are not restricted to doing this where you live. On the contrary, most of our students are, are not doing this uh, where they live. They're doing this in, in other places around the country. We have one student who lives in New Hampshire. He does deals in Florida as well as, uh, as, well as Alaska. Uh, we got guys in South America that do deals all over the U.S. So, so really, there's no reason why you shouldn't be doing this somewhere else. You really do this wherever it makes the most sense mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for you. Okay, I think, I'm going to check one more time, but I think we've wrapped up the listener questions so far. Uh, and we have about two minutes left, and I know I'm giving you very little time to talk about something that um, it just really grabbed me when I read that you actually also create cash flow out of vacant land, which just seems impossible. So can can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, absolutely. I'll be happy to. Uh, cash flow out of, of, uh, out of land is the simplest answer to that is by selling it with installment sales with seller financing. Uh, the way we do this, by buying these properties so cheap, by buying them for 5 to 25 cents on a dollar, uh, literally for sometimes a few hundred dollars, uh, you can afford to sell these properties at full market value with a very low down payment. So let's say recently we have done a deal where we bought a property that's worth about $35,000. We bought it for $3,000. We then sold it for $31,000 and got a $5,000 down payment. So if you look at that, we got more money back as a down payment than we even paid for the property, including closing costs. So now we're back, we have money in our pocket and we have somebody now paying us for the next 12 years, $342 a month. That is cash flow. That is the equivalent cash flow of of a whole bunch of rental houses that I know, but without a mortgage, without tenants, without toilets, without termites, without repairs, without air conditions breaking down because they're just paying this thing off and paying you over the next 12 years, $342 a month. Now, you do that 10 times, 20 times a year. My first year, I did 63 deals. So you can do, most of our students are, are, like one of our students right now is on 65 deals in six months. Um, and you do that 10 times a year, you have $3,500 in cash flow coming in from land. Yes, it will end at some point of time. It's not cash flow that lasts forever, but stable cash flow for years and years to come without ever having to deal with tenants or houses or, de- or termites or anything of those things involved. That's the solution. And because we can buy these properties so cheap, 
we can we can afford to uh, we can we can offer some really smoking deals. We don't have to ask for 30% down, 40% down. We can say something. Give me 10% down on a $35,000 deal, and most likely that might already cover what we paid for the property. So it's a true uh, true true opportunity to do deals without uh, without at the end of the day with no money out of your pocket and actually convert them into long-term cash-flowing deals for you. And, and at the peak of that, we have built up of the several hundred loans at an average of two, $300 a piece. I mean, it added up to almost $70,000 a month in cash flow from nice. land through a method that literally nobody else is looking at. And I'm going to be talking at the conference about that uh, in, on, on Saturday. Yes, and we are out of time. But once again, if you would like to uh, see more of Jack, maybe get to talk to him in person, WMKVFM.org. Grab your seats to the 2018 National Real Estate Summit coming up November 1st, 2nd, 3rd, and 4th. We'll be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.